Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. How are we doing? Awesome. Thanks for being with us. Uh, wherever you're watching from online or tuning in from, thank you so much for joining us as well. Uh, like Brian said, my name is Bradley Hamilton, and uh, we are closing out the series we've been in the last several weeks called Love Where You Live. And we've come around this idea of do we love literally where we live, and that even means those who live next to us. And so we've talked about this idea that Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, And so we take that statement, we think it just means to love all people, love the people that are in our community, in our church, that we serve, that we give to, and that's all true. But when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he used a proximity term, which actually means neighbor. Those who you are around, those who you have been placed next to. So when Jesus said, love those, we sometimes forget that our actual neighbor is also our neighbor. And and the reason we forget that is because we didn't choose our neighbor. We chose our house because we loved it. We chose our apartment because we loved it, but we didn't choose the person next door that we don't necessarily love. We didn't choose the person next door that doesn't follow the HOA rules. We didn't choose the person next door that talks way too much. We didn't choose the person next door whose kids are annoying. We didn't choose the person next door whose Facebook posts are annoying. And now we find ourselves in a forced relationship called neighbor. But what we've been looking at is this idea that if Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself, then maybe there's a role that we have to play as a neighbor. And maybe the fact that you've been placed where you have isn't by accident. Maybe there's actually a purpose that you have to play with where you've been placed. And so to do this and love where we live better and be more intentional about it, we have been looking at a single interaction that Jesus had with somebody, someone who just happened to be nearby, that he happened to see and interact with, and this interaction changes everything. And the reason we've been going back to the same interaction every single week is because I believe this interaction has a lot to show us about the kind of love that Jesus extends. And there's a lot about the love of Jesus, but if you wanna really understand what Jesus is like, you need to look at his interactions throughout the New Testament, and you will see a God who loves a little bit different than maybe you've expected. And so we've kind of said, hey, as as Christians, as Christ followers, if we want to follow and model ourselves after that love, then it looks loving like Jesus. It looks like loving where we live. And so I'm gonna catch us up. If you haven't been with us last few weeks, no worries at all. I'm gonna read back through this interaction in Luke 19, verses one through eight. Here's where we've been. Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, he called him by name and said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 
Look, Lord, here and now I give half of all of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's where we stopped last week. But what's cool about this interaction is we see a few things that Jesus did. First, we see him stop and see Zacchaeus. And that was where we ended week one because it is so important that we stop and see the people that God has placed us around. It's so easy to go about our lives, our to-do list, our Google calendar, and forget that there have been people strategically placed near us who need to be seen. And yet Jesus, in the midst of all that he was up to, in the midst of his full Google calendar, on the way to Jerusalem to redeem the entire world, he had an agenda. He stops and he sees someone who needs to be seen. And then we looked at the fact that he loved first. He said Zacchaeus called him by name, invites himself over to his house. He loved before Zacchaeus could do a thing. And we talked about week two, how Christian, that's our role. When we love others, it's not because it's earned. It's not because it's merited. It's not because they believe first. People can belong before they believe. And so as Christ followers, it just means that we love We love in spite of their mess, in spite of their past, in spite of where they are on their journey of faith. Jesus just loved first. And that's what our love should do. And then he begins a personal relationship. He goes over to his house. He spends time with him. He doesn't shame him for what he's been doing. He doesn't confront his past. He doesn't assume like the crowd had been making a lot of assumptions about this rich guy, Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, which essentially meant he was stealing from his own people uh, to make his money. And so he didn't assume that from the crowd. He didn't base any of that off of what he thought of Zacchaeus. He just built a personal relationship and that changed everything. And so our question was simple. What if we just began to have relationship with people different? Just build a relationship. Just begin to listen, not make assumptions, not shame for where they're at, but just begin to build a relationship with people who are different. And in that, maybe change begins. In that, maybe change begins, not just for that person, but maybe even for you. So that's kind of where we're at. And then Luke concludes the story with one last statement and he closes with what Jesus says. And this is the first time seemingly that Jesus had spoken up at the dinner. He had been silent and just the fact that he had loved Zacchaeus, spent time with Zacchaeus, seemed to change everything. So Zacchaeus would stand up and go, I can't go back to how things were. I have to be different. I have to change. I now know what it's like to have community and acceptance and belong. And so I am going to be different. And then Jesus speaks. And he says this, Luke 19, 9. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now this is such an important verse because this really is a lot of the mission heartbeat of what we do here at Centerpoint. Jesus would look at Zacchaeus and go, Zacchaeus, do you know why I came? It's for what you just did. I came for people like you. I came for people who feel like they have been outcast or pushed aside by a religious institution. I feel like I have come for you for people who feel like they have been not accepted and pushed out and that they don't belong. I have come for people like you who feel like they have lost their purpose, lost their identity, who are trying to fill it with things that are not satisfying. Zacchaeus, I have come for people like you, not just the ones that have it together, not just the ones pursuing the religious system, but the ones like you who feel as if they are lost. Zacchaeus, that is why I've come. 
And then he says, today you have found salvation. Today you can start life. Now, a lot of times we hear salvation and lost and we think about eternity. And we think about the fact that now his security and eternity is set and he can be with Jesus forever. And all of that is true. But Jesus makes a, a shifting statement when he says, today this begins for you, Zacchaeus. Because it wasn't just about eternity. Zacchaeus had now understood love like never before. Zacchaeus had now understood acceptance like never before. Zacchaeus had now understood belonging like never before. Zacchaeus was about to begin his journey of replacing the things that he thought would fulfill him and replacing it with true life found in Jesus. Zacchaeus had found life and freedom, not just for eternity, but for today. He removed unnecessary barriers so that Zacchaeus could find life and freedom in Jesus. That's the literal mission of our church, that we would remove unnecessary barriers for people, whether it's the crowd's opinion of them, whether it's the fact that they're short and can't quite see Jesus, whether the fact is they are hiding and feel like they are outcast and pushed away from a religious system. We hope to remove those barriers, to enter into relationship with them so that they can experience what hope and life and freedom in Jesus really is. This is what happens with Zacchaeus. He would never be the same. And it's why so much of what we do here is modeled after the interactions of Jesus. But here's the tension. And here's what you've probably felt this series. And here's why you might have already been frustrated with this story. And I'm just gonna name it. Is that all of this happened in one afternoon. All of this happened one afternoon. Jesus style, he sees the guy, loves him, builds a relationship, and the guy turns his life over to Jesus. One afternoon. I'm guessing that's not your story as you've been trying to love where you live. I'm guessing that you've set out and every week we've given you challenges to love those around you. The stories I'm not hearing outside are like, I loved once, all done. Gave their life to Jesus. It was amazing. Didn't even say anything, just ate some of their food. And now they're coming to CC for the rest of their life. Uh, that has not been the story. In fact, uh, last week I had someone come up to me and I didn't tell them I'm gonna share this story, but it's kind of funny. And uh, she said that her neighbor's trunk was open and she hadn't met this neighbor before. And so she thought, oh, this is my chance. We're gonna get to meet him, interact and do something loving and help him know that his trunk is open. And so she knocks on the door and says, hey, I just wanna let you know that you know, your, your truck is open. I wanna introduce myself. And he says, okay, thanks. And slams the door in her face. <laughs> I'm guessing that's been more like your story that it wasn't one afternoon that's changed everything, that you've loved, that you've served, that you've done something, that you've stepped out, you followed this call of God to love where you live and something didn't change overnight or right away, but sometimes you just don't even feel like it's doing anything. In fact, some of you came up to me week one and said, I'm so glad we're talking about this because I have been trying to do this for years. Some of you have been trying to love people around you. Maybe it's not just your neighbors. Some of you have family members that you have been loving like this for years. Some of you have coworkers that you have been serving and loving and trying to be there for, for years and nothing is changing. So what do we do? When we're doing all the right things, when we're loving where we live, we're following the model of Jesus and nothing like Zacchaeus takes place. In fact, over time and over time, nothing seems to be changing. Well, this morning, I wanna talk about what does it look like when we're ready to quit? What does it look like when you are just ready to give up and stop trying 
because it's tiring, it's exhausting, you've been down this road. What does it mean to not quit? And this applies to our neighbors and loving them well, because at some point it's going to get difficult. But this also applies to other areas in our life that we've just butted up against some obstacles. Maybe we had this dream, this calling from God that we stepped out on, we were excited about, and maybe wanted to get our finances in order, and then that was kind of met with all of these obstacles, and we couldn't quite figure it out, and it just doesn't seem to be making any headway. Maybe we stepped out into a new career, and then that just hasn't gone well. Maybe there's been a marriage or a relationship that you would say, honestly, Bradley, I just am ready to quit this morning. Well, I think what we're going to talk about is going to be super helpful, whatever area you're feeling you're ready to quit. Because maybe God has more there. And maybe there's a role that we can still play. In fact, here's what I want to say. Some of you, you're still kind of investigating Jesus. You're checking this out online and you're not sure about the Jesus thing. What's cool about what we're going to talk about in the words of Jesus is that you can take the Jesus stuff out if you want. And I still think it will help you. You can remove the Jesus stuff for now and you can just try him out on some of the words that he says and maybe just start there. Because what I think he will show you is that the way of Jesus will make your life better. And it will make you better at life. And so I just want to look at what does it look like where we want to quit. There was a study done by a lady named Angela Duckworth. And she wanted to know why some people succeed and others give up. Why some people succeed in the harshest, the toughest environments and seem to make it through. And so she studied three different environments. She studied military academies. She studied high-level institutions and colleges. And she studied spelling bees. Competitive spelling bees. Now, I haven't been to the first two, but in fourth grade, I was part of a spelling bee. And if you know me, and I'm just assuming uh, that's why some of you are laughing, I'm not great at spelling. And so I don't know how this happened. They kind of tricked me. I guess I did okay on a test and they brought me into the spelling bee. It must have been a very low bar. And so at lunch, they stop all of lunch. They bring us up on stage and they begin the spelling bee. Now, as a fourth grader, I am terrified to be in front of people. I'm even more terrified to be in front of older kids around our school. And I'm even more terrified because I'm going to be spelling. And so I get up there and they're going down the line and they start easy is what they say. And so I get up and they say, spell robber. And I'm shaking. And for the life of me, I don't even hear what they just said. And So I give it my best shot and I say, R-O-B-E-R, Rober. I'll never forget that because I was out round one, whole school laughed at me, felt completely humiliated, couldn't even get a simple word. So I was part of the group that did not succeed at spelling bees. But what she wanted to look at is what's a common denominator, a factor in the people who do succeed? the ones who make it against impossible odds, the ones who succeed in the highest level of environments. And then what she found was this one determining factor. This factor, she kind of concluded, was in every person who made it through, who didn't quit, and she called it grit. She actually wrote a book on grit, and here's how she defined it. Grit is passion and perseverance for long-term goals. Passion plus perseverance. That's the determining factor in someone succeeding against all odds. So passion is, I'm really excited about this. 
Passion is this thing, lights me up, fills me up. I'm so stoked about it. I can't wait to go do it. Passion is that piece of you that says, I can't wait to step out on this. Something's happened in my life and I just feel this call, this need. Maybe it's been a calling from God, this passionate project of yours that that you just are gonna step out into something new. That was the series for a lot of us. When it came to loving where you live, we talked about it week one and you were so passionate about loving where you live and loving your neighbors and noticing them and reaching out and loving first and that became a passion. But here's the problem with just passion alone. Passion weakens over time, doesn't it? Passion, if we aren't careful, if we aren't intentional, lessens over time. And so the reason we started, the passion behind it, the excitement behind it, the reason we initially stepped out, it begins to lessen. And all of a sudden, just passion alone doesn't get us where we need to go. And so she says, it's not just passion, it's also perseverance. Passion alone, it's a great thing, but it cannot get you where you need to go. It has to be passion plus perseverance. If you look up the term perseverance, it's defined like this. Persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. So when we're fighting something big, we're up against a big call. Our passion begins to lessen. And then we hit obstacles. And then we hit roadblocks. And then we hit difficulties. And can I just say, if you're hitting up against obstacles and doing something big for God, a lot of times we wanna go, God, why is this happening? Can I just let you know that nothing big for God happens without some opposition? I would say that nothing significant happens without some difficulty. And so if you've been saying, God, why is this happening? I just wanna give you some encouragement today that if you are hitting up against opposition, if you are facing challenges, you might just be on the right track. You might just be on the right road. You might just be doing something that's a game changer because you are always going to hit roadblocks when you are doing something of significance. But when the passion lessens and the difficulty hits, then we begin to feel that we need to quit. And so what Angela says is, You have to have that passion. You have to be intentional about keeping it, but then you also have to have the perseverance, the desire, the the, the purpose to just keep going in spite of the challenges. Now, this wasn't just something that Angela said. This is actually something that a guy named Paul wrote in one of the letters to the churches that he writes in our New Testament. In fact, most of the New Testament that you have are letters written by this guy named Paul. Paul was a great leader. He was a great church planter. Paul did so much significantly for the church, but he was also a guy that knew what it was like to face opposition. At the time, Paul was writing the letter of Galatians. It was not safe to be a Christ follower. In fact, just by claiming the name of Jesus and saying that you were following after him, you could be tortured, you could be jailed, you could be killed. And Paul knew this because he was actually, before he was a church planter and before he wrote Galatians, he was one of the guys leading the charge against the Christian church. He was one of the guys that was murdering Christians for their faith. The religious system, the religious elite, they didn't like this guy Jesus because they saw him as sort of a cult leader that that was distracting people. But then as people began to follow after him, they realized he was dangerous They realized they were losing power. They realized there were people and hundreds and thousands began to say they saw Jesus after he died, which just really stirred everything up. And so they began to chase after Christians and put an end to this mission of the church. And Paul was one of them. 
In fact, I had the secular history class in college. So not a Christian class, just studied history. And we walked in one day and the teacher said, class, what we're gonna talk about today is how the world, how history has been shaped by one of the largest religions ever, Christianity. And she said, I just wanna give you full disclosure. I am not a Christian because I don't necessarily believe what the, the church says on this. She goes, but what we're gonna talk about, it's a little strange. So because for the first half of the class, we're gonna look at how the Christian movement almost never even happened. It almost ended. It was just sort of a little cult movement. It would not have even made a footnote in our history books. And in the second half of the class, we're gonna learn that it spread to become a major world religion. And she said, the weird thing is, it's the same guy. The same guy who almost ended this cult movement, he was leading masses against the church, almost putting into everything. He was a phenomenal leader. He was high up in the religious system. He was almost going to end the church. And then something happened. She said, I don't know what it is. I don't know why. I can't explain it, but we just have to talk about it because that same guy is the reason why the church spread. All of a sudden, this guy becomes a Christian. He, he turns everything in his life around and he then begins preaching the name of Jesus until his death. And she goes, so I don't know, but something happened. Now, Paul would say that, yes, something happened. In fact, he would say, I met Jesus after Jesus died, which I think would make any of us kind of reconsider some of our life decisions. And so he says, because I believe in this so much, I'm trading my life of comfort. There was no reason for him to pursue after this Jesus movement in a dangerous time that ended in his death. There was no reason for him to do this besides the fact that he really believed what he said he believed. And he really believed that he saw Jesus after Jesus died and he began to live the rest of his life proclaiming that name. And so as he's doing this, he plants churches and raises up leaders and he writes a lot of, because, you know, he couldn't just tweet at them or send them a fax. He couldn't do any of that. So he's writing letters that we have a lot in our New Testament that you can look through that Paul is writing to these churches to help them as they are in their journey. And as he's writing to the church of Galatians, he's trying to help them kind of understand this concept of when things are getting difficult, because it was incredibly difficult. It was incredibly difficult to be a Christ follower. It was incredibly difficult to live out what you believe in a world and a culture that said that that wasn't safe. And so as he's writing to them to explain what it looks like to persevere, here's what he says in Galatians chapter six. He says, Christian, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Christian, don't become weary in what you're doing. He knew what it was like to get tired doing good. He knew what it was like to get tired uh, of living for Jesus and loving and doing the right things and sometimes seeing no results and sometimes seeing people reject you and sometimes seeing people walk away and sometimes being harassed for his faith. He knew what that was like. And he would say, don't get weary. I know it's easy to get exhausted. I know you've done it before. I know you loved your neighbor last week and they didn't respond. I know you keep trying and you keep trying, but you don't grow weary. You just don't give up because at at the proper time, you will see a reward. Not when you expect to see it, not when you want to see it, but you'll see it. And it might not be in this life. In fact, some of your impacts, Christian, you might never see, 
but at the proper time, you will. And your work is not in vain. And your loving people is not in vain. But you have to have passion with perseverance and not give up. I wanna talk through really quickly two of the, I think, the biggest reasons why we give up. So why do we give up? Here's one of the biggest reasons I think we give up. We don't see the progress that we're making. Sometimes when we're doing things for God and we're loving well and we're investing in people, we don't always see the progress that we're actually making. I love to read books on the Kindle. Any Kindle fans in the room? I know some people like my wife, they're like, I have to have the actual book and pages and all of that dusty stuff. But I like the Kindle because you can just see everything electronically. You flip forward, but here's my favorite part. At the bottom, there's a progress bar. And the progress bar is so great for my personality and I'm working through it with a counselor, but the progress bar is so great for me because it will actually let you know the perfect percentage that you're at in finishing the book. So every page I flip, I get to see that get closer to 100. And there's my motivation. I know right where I'm at. I am 33% done with this book. And if I read for a few more pages, I'm at 35% done with this book. And that progress bar keeps me going. Most of life doesn't have a progress bar. A lot of the things that you do week in and week out doesn't have a progress bar. Wouldn't it be great if you could see a progress bar in your parenting? And you could go, okay, today I did 80%. Let's shoot for 84 tomorrow. Wouldn't it be great if your marriage had a progress bar and everything you did either brought it up or brought it back down so you could know exactly where you were at? Wouldn't it be great if your spiritual walk had a progress bar? And you could know how close you were getting to God and the things you were doing were matter. Wouldn't it be great if relationship and relational impact had a progress bar? And you could just know, okay, I've made this much impact. I loved like this and, and here's what happened. The problem is life doesn't have one of those. And when it comes to loving where you live, wouldn't it be great? I've shown this matrix every single week that showed you the five around you and said invest in them. Wouldn't it be great if you could just see a progress bar on your impact in every neighbor? And you're like, okay, this is great. I, I helped this person with this thing. So they're at like 70% impact. I'm having a great impact here, but they're at like 20, so I need to go hang out with them. Wouldn't it be great if we could see the progress we're making when we're doing things for God? This isn't how life works. And we don't get to see the progress all the time. And we don't get to see the investment that we're making. And so it's so easy to get discouraged and to give up and to want to push in the chips because we don't see the progress that's actually happening. And this is what happened with Zacchaeus. The disciples would have been so shocked and so confused at this response from Zacchaeus because Jesus didn't do anything. He's just eating dinner, but they didn't see what was really going on in Zacchaeus. It seemed like it was nothing, but what was really happening was everything. And I just want you to know that some of you who are doing good and you're doing the right thing and you're loving people well and you're parenting well and you're loving your marriage well and you're doing it over and over and over and over again and you feel like no progress is being made, but you don't know what's really happening. There is impact from what you're doing. And Paul would say, Christian, don't grow weary, keep going. You will at the proper time see what's really taking place. Here's the second reason. I think sometimes we compare our starts with others' finishes. I think we step out on something big and this applies to a lot of areas of life. For me, it's like I could start and decide I'm going to run a little bit more. I need to get in better fitness. So I'm gonna run three times a week. 
And then what begins to happen is I hop on social media and see some of my friends who just ran 237 miles up a mountain in one day. And I'm discouraged. And I see their finish and I compare it to my start. And some of you feel like you're making progress in your finances and you're cutting down debt and you're cutting up credit cards and you're starting to give and, and you're starting to be generous and you're seeing some traction. And then you get on social media and see your friend buy a fourth car to go with their others. And you begin to compare. Some of you hop on social media and you feel great about your marriage, you're making progress, you guys are in counseling, God is doing some incredible, incredible things. And then you see the couple who just post these incredible date nights four times a week and you're discouraged. And here's what begins to happen when we do this. We begin to look at the best of people's lives because can I be honest, that's what social media is, isn't it? And this has made this issue so much worse that we look at the best of people's lives and we begin to think, I wish I had that. And so what we do is we begin to pick and choose and build this impossible status. And we go, I wish I had their body. I wish I had their finances. I wish I took their vacations. I wish I had their kids. I wish I had their job. I wish I had their sense of style. I wish I had their ability to eat whatever I want and still stay thin. I wish I had their whatever. And then we've built this perfect, unattainable life. And we try and live to that. And we are consistently let down. And that's because that's not your life and it's not anybody's. That's no one's life. No one has it all, and yet this is the conflict we get into if we fall into this comparison trap that we pick and choose the best, we put it in front of us, and we live in discouragement because when we are comparing our starts to others' finishes, you know what we don't see? We don't see the challenges they faced. We don't see the obstacles they hit. We don't see the years of turmoil it took to get to where they're at. And so we wanna cash it in, throw in the towel as soon as passion lessens or we hit an obstacle or things get difficult. We wanna throw it all away. And Paul would say, Christian, don't become weary in doing good. Don't compare your start to others' finishes. Don't get weary, keep going, keep doing it. You will see something at the proper time if you don't give up. We have to shatter this comparison trap or we're never gonna fully be able to live out what God's put in us. And the same applies to loving where we live. That because we've been doing it for a little while, because we did it this week and things got tough, because maybe the passion's already faded, how do we stay intentional? How do we keep going? Because here's the deal, Christian, and if you're not a Christ follower, you can kind of sit this one out, but Christ follower, can I just say, loving where you live does not have an end date. Loving where you live is not just for one month out of the year. Loving where you live, seeing people around you who need to be seen and loving and investing in them, that is not something that we get to check out on. That is a lifelong process. So how do we keep the passion? How do we keep the perseverance? How do we keep going? 
Well, every week I've thrown up this house matrix to show you kind of the five people around you. And you might have to be creative based on where you live, but essentially we've picked five. And every week we've added to a challenge. Week one was to learn their name, just that. See them, notice that they're around you. Week two was to make an act of love. Do something for them, not because they've earned it, not because they deserved it. Maybe it's the neighbor that you're the most angry at or frustrated at or different than, but just go love. And then week three was to start a personal relationship. So here's the last thing. This series ends. And tomorrow, I'm not gonna be there to remind you to love where you live. So how do we keep the passion and keep going? So what I want you to do is maybe even take that picture, take that matrix and put it somewhere in your house. Get your kids involved, draw something with it, get creative, but some way, because the passion will lessen. We will start another series. You'll be passionate about someone else, something else, and there are still people around you that need to be seen. And so how do we keep the passion? Keep reminding yourself, put this around you. Put it somewhere where you will see it and continue to remember that I need to love where I live. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for loving us like Zacchaeus. In spite of our mess, in spite of our mistakes, that you just loved. God, I pray for the person in the room who is getting weary of loving because it doesn't seem to be reciprocated. Tension still exists. Progress doesn't seem to be going forward. And God, I pray this morning, would you encourage them? Would you remind them that they are doing the right thing and to just keep going, that you are with them, that you are for them, that you have a plan and that you are using them to love where they live. God, I pray this morning, we would all just be encouraged by that. That we wouldn't compare, that we persevere. It's your name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.